0: Hi, I'm Ronnie Chang. You probably know me as the co-host of The Daily Show of Trevor Noah. I know, it's weird they put his name in the title and not mine, but anyway. My new show, Ronnie Chang International Student, is coming to the Comedy Central app. Co-written by and starring yours truly, Ronnie Chang International Student, is the mostly true story of my time as a law student in Australia. That's right, this accent is Australian. So, download the Comedy Central app on, like, any device ever made, except, uh, I don't know, a Tamagotchi. And stream my show, Ronnie Chan International Students. Then, download the Comedy Central app on your friend's device when they're not looking, so they can stream Ronnie Chan International Students. Because, don't be selfish. My guest tonight is an actor, activist, and now a best-selling author on The New York Times. Her new book is called, We're Going to Need More Wine. Please welcome, Gabrielle Union. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. This is so amazing having you on, and especially uh, for something as fantastic as this book. I, I've always admired you, I've always loved your movies, I've always uh, loved what you're doing in your career, but, but this book is a little piece of everything. It's sad, it's funny, it's complicated, it's, it's, it's you. It's me. Was it frightening putting everything down between these two covers?
1: No, it was actually freeing and liberating. And then we started sending it to people and they started, you know, coming back with feedback like, so brave. And I was like, have I said too much? <laughs> That's when it got terrifying. Right. Because you just, you know, I write my truth, and you just, you're just, like, tossing your baby to the crowd, hoping somebody catches it. Right.
0: You, you genuinely do write your truth in the book. And you, you, you talk about so many things. I mean, like, I, I, I'm going to read your book in so many places. People are going to get angry at me. but I, there, there Not were so my many mom. Parts, there were so many She's parts. She's going to be like, carry that on. I, that, I, that I found, uh, like, inspirational and interesting. Like, one, one story, for instance, uh, that I wanted you to talk about was, was Prince who you credit with uh, putting you uh, in touch with Dwayne Wade and
1: your marriage, really. Yeah. Why do you say that Prince is the reason you got married? I was headed to a Prince party. We were on the elevator. It was me, Puff, Vanessa Manillo, and I think Neil Long. You know, random group of people all headed to this Prince party. And Dwayne's brothers got on the same elevator. He was in town playing whatever L.A. team, and they were like... My brother has the biggest crush on you, and I was like, "Okay, that's very sweet." <laughs> <laughs> I, Did I, you know, know who the brother was? No, no. Oh, okay, no. okay, okay. No, um, and they're stepbrothers, so they don't, it's not like right, they look right, like right. you bear an uncanny resemblance to the yes. young fellow from Miami. Um, and they were like, "You know, we're doing these uh, the Super Bowl party. Would you be interested in co-hosting with him?" And that's how I met him. Wow.
0: What, what yeah. I what I enjoyed was how you talked about the Prince party. People knew that Prince threw some epic, epic parties. But what was really interesting was how you talked about the significance of those parties because what he created was a world where people got to meet. Why was that so significant for you?
1: Well as creatives, we generally are completely segregated in, in LA, in New York, um, you know there's black actor parties, there's right. black Hollywood parties, there's you know, white Hollywood parties. and every so often there's like a sprinkle that gets added to right. you know the, the white parties and you're then the special magical Negro. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know the ones. So, but it's, yes. it's very rarely, like, super diverse. And if you're not in those rooms or at those parties and you have a chance to really get to know people, we hire our friends. But if you're never a, a friend, friend, you don't get hired. So Prince brought all of these amazing, super diverse uh, people to his parties and created a truly inclusive, you know, party. Jam. Right. And it was amazing. When you When you talk about
0: black Hollywood. Sometimes people really don't understand what that means. They'll be like, but Gabrielle, you're an actress. I see you in movies. I I know that you're famous. One of the most powerful lines you wrote about in the book is, you you say you've been acting your whole life. You know that in many ways you've been relegated to roles that you are forced to play and and that's all you're given access to. And the line that stuck with me, and forgive me if I paraphrase it wrong, but you, you, you basically said I've acted my entire life and most white actors would see my career and Look at it the same way they look at breadcrumbs. Yes. It's 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 nothing and yet it's it's all you have. Yeah. Why do you have that feeling and what, what does that mean to you?
1: Well, it's it's for the same reason why, you know, Taraji, Taraji P. Henson had been nominated for an Oscar. You know, she she'd been the star of of films and she'd been around for literally twenty years. Right. And suddenly we discovered her as Cookie Lion. And Black America was like, nah, we knew Taraji for about 20 years. Y'all are late. She's been amazing for a long time. So when they look at at my career and they see a movie like Delivers from Eva or or The Brothers or Two Can Play That Game, all movies that had tiny budgets that did 10 times their budget, which should be considered blockbusters. Yes. But they're considered niche. They're black movies. Um, Or why we look at uh, the movie like Girls Trip.
0: Right, this right, summer right.
1: as oh my look at that little black movie go, as opposed to <laughs> that little black movie kicked everybody's ass. Right. <laughs> um, um, but when you but when you look at, at creatives of color based on the budgets that we're given and what we're able to do, right. there are so many superstars that never get acknowledged.
0: You 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 speak about in the book the challenge of living as a black woman and then also just working as an actor and some people say don't bring up the fact that you're black just just be an actor and move on with your life and you talk about how tough it is to balance those two because you want to be considered an actor which you are but at the same time you cannot deny that you live as a black woman
1: um (laughs) listen if there was (laughs) if there was a way that i could just be like, now forget this. Right. Doo-loo, doo-loo. And they're like, she's not black at all, it turns <laughs> out. Like, I would be so interested to know how many rooms I could get in. But because they still use phrases like, ah, we're not going to go black with that character. And I'm like, right. well, it, it, I mean, This Is Us is a very popular show. And I will admit, before I actually watch an episode, I'm like, they're all related. How? Right. Um, you know, it'd be like, the lawyer couldn't be black or brown yes, or Asian. Yes. And it's like, why well, didn't envision it that way. I'm like, well, I bet there's no black people on your mantle or in frames at your house either. Um, your social circle has to expand so your world can expand. Because obviously just like choosing people based on merit is like not your jam. So somehow I've got to <laughs> figure out a way... To you know, to 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 somehow present myself as human to you, right? Which you refuse to see. So no, I wish I had the luxury of saying I'm just an actress, but I'm not. I'm a black woman, and and my acting is completely informed by my blackness. Wow. <laughs> casting film or television projects, <laughs> because i really feel included and in like i might have a seat at any one of your tables
0: there there are um there are moments in the book where you know that's why i say it's, it's it's a complex book which i truly enjoyed because of how complex the story is there is the acting side there is the woman side there is the side of you that is now playing the role of a mother And I I just wanted to read this this passage real quick where you talk about uh, raising these four boys in a house with Dwayne. And you talk about here where you go, I'm also very conscious that I'm helping to raise young black men in a world where they are often in danger. I have watched them grow and I've watched the world's perception of them change as they do. When you raise a young black man in a world where you feel like they're in danger, how do you even begin that conversation and what does that conversation mean to you?
1: I just jump in. You know, I just jump in because the more I hesitate, the more the black bodies are mounting up, the more hashtags. By the time I figured out the right entry point, there's five more hashtags of of people being murdered for their blackness. Right. Because in this country we have, and around the world, we have weaponized, demonized, and deemed blackness inherently threatening. And in a state like Florida, where we live and we're raising our kids, um, it's an open carry state and it's a stand your ground state. So all our neighbors would have to do to get away with killing our children is to say they're frightened. And somewhere after, like, eight or nine, little black boys go from, oh, my God, they're so cute. I actually might adopt one to <laughs> clutch the pearls. Right. And in that transition, our children are being murdered. Our children are being profiled. Our children are being othered. Our children are being disciplined differently in school. Our children are being taught differently, um, and so while we're all waiting for that that perfect entry point of how do you even have this discussion, how do I tell my kids it's safest if you just like didn't exist because that that what that it, that would make a lot of people a lot more comfortable.
0: Comfort is something that you haven't always had the the luxury of, and in the book one of the most gripping chapters is when you speak about your experience with sexual assault. Mm-hmm. In the wake of the Harvey Weinstein scandal, once again, you know, your story came to the light. And you, you, you speak very candidly in the book about being raped. It's devastating, it's honest, and it's heartbreaking because you, you, you speak about how you had to take that back home with you. There's a moment where you, you, you speak about your dad looking into your eyes. And if I find it here, it's, 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 it's one of the moments where you, you speak about, I, I don't even need to find in the book because I remember it. You, you basically say your dad looked at you and he was your fa- you were his favorite because you were so alike. But in that moment, you looked into his eyes and you could see him thinking, she's broken. I've lost a piece of her. I couldn't protect her. Shame, fear, guilt, all of these things combined. Two questions I have regarding that. One, how did you work to overcome what had happened to you, what somebody had done to you? And secondly, looking at the Harvey Weinstein scandal, looking at the scandal that men are embroiled in when it comes to sexual assault, what do you think we could be doing better to move this conversation forward to to, to to get action? Oh
1: well, the first part of your question, therapy, and it's always weird to say that I had the luxury of being raped in a very affluent community with an underworked police department and an underutilized rape crisis center. My workman's comp kicked right in within wow. the week. I I got into therapy. I had parents that were like this is a problem that's bigger than us and we can't, um, isolate you out of this. You know, a lot of, you know, rape, um, rape survivors are are, are sort of that people think that they can just sort of insulate them into wellness. Right. My parents were like, this is bigger than us. You need professional help. So literally as my face was still battered, un- I was unrecognizable, I went to my first therapy session. And I've been in therapy for the last 25 years. And I credit that with my wholeness, my, my wellness, my soul being patched back together. Um, and what can we do? my dad was guilty of this. And when this was part of his sadness, the idea that you can price your way out of bad things happening to you or your children or your families, that you, if you just move into the right suburb, if you send your kids to the right school, if they have just the right friends, if they, if they wear just the right thing, if, if we educate them, all of these things that we think insulate us from bad things happening, um, and and recognize that's not true. Anyone, anywhere at any time can be the victim of sexual violence. Anywhere at anyone, anyone at anywhere at any time can be the victim of sexual harassment. Um, And the reason why more people aren't more open with it is because, like in my case, even though I was raped by a stranger at gunpoint at work while wearing a tunic and leggings, I was still asked by a female friend what I had on. We have to call sexual violence what it is, whether that's uh, violence as words, you know, uh, violence as action, violence as behavior. We have, let's call it what it is and stop it in its tracks. I have a, a story about my, my godson, Jack. He was in the middle of a soccer game and his coach was yelling at him, you know, yelling at the crew, you're, you're, you know, you're acting like a bunch of girls. And he's like, that's sexist. <laughs> Like, right, <laughs> right then, And I was like. Oh. And, but there was this idea that maybe, maybe Jack should have waited for just the right moment. You know, maybe after the game or maybe when he wasn't, you know, in the, you know, um, or surrounded right. by, by people. Pull him to the side. And I was like, screw that, Jack. You did the right thing. You call it out as you see it. Right. There's never going to be a good time to address terrible behavior. Address it in the moment when you see it. Because we've all been complicit in allowing this to go on, whether that's catcalling on the street or, you know, super inappropriate conversations that happen at work or in our families. We've all seen the aunt with the, like, super slobby kisses. Come here, baby. Give the baby a kiss. (laughs) And you're like, don't be that way. Give auntie a kiss. And we override kids' discomfort. We've all been complicit. We've all done it. So how we help is, let's call a thing a thing and call it out as it's happening, Wow.
0: I, uh... um, One one part of the book I I have to ask you about, which I thoroughly enjoyed, is how proudly sex-positive you are. Yes. And this is something I always enjoyed because it genuinely reminds me of my mom. My mom used to... Embarrassed me so much because she would always want to talk about sex. And I'd be like, no! you're a mom and she's like how do you think i made you baby and i'll be like no do you know what i mean and 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 it, it really is beautiful because it's part of the conversation yeah. you know you you speak about it in the book you're proud of it in the book and you talk about how you know you you have these young girls who you speak to the younger generation who say um you know i'm, I'm comfortable i watch porn and I, I i have sex with my friends and i have sex and you talk about it in the book about how like some of these young girls will go i yeah i, I suck my friends you know? And, and that's it. And you, and you say, well, does he, does he go down on you? And they're like, no. And you're like, well, that's, that's, not, that's not a good
1: friendship then. Sex is something that's supposed to be mutually beneficial. Yes. And if you're gonna be super proud about cunniling or, you know, fellatio, he better be just as proud about his cunnilingus skills. <laughs> let's, let's keep it 100, right? Are we, we're gonna just, you know. Um, <laughs> this is the second marriage. So when I'm talking about sex, there hasn't been one penis in my life. Um, And the idea that, like, I just was, like, magically waiting until, like, my early 40s for Dwayne Wade's penis to show up. Um, So the sex I talk about in the book, just know it's been going on since the late 80s. There you go.
0: We're going to need more wine. Is available now. You'll love the book as much as you love her, Gabrielle Union everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed.
1: My mom was amazing.
0: But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free starting May 1st with a 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.